0: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com writingexcuses. Season 17. Episode 14.
1: This is Writing Excuses, structuring for disordered or orderless reading order.
2: Fifteen minutes or so long. Because you may or may not be in a hurry. And I'm not allowed
3: to write episode titles anymore. (laughs) I suppose I'm Dan.
2: I'm Mary Robinette. I could be Pung.
1: I'm Howard. I'm out of humor. (laughs) I demand that uh, you may or may not be Howard. Uh, Is that an order? Disordered or orderless reading order. There are books <laughs> that can be read out of order. There are uh, um, stories, there's structures that demand a specific order to events and structures that ignore that or uh, or just bypass it. Um, Pung, what do, what do we mean by this? What are we talking about with orderless reading order?
2: Uh, well, there are... <laughs> There are a couple of different ways that I think we can take this. Um, And I would say that it's one of the, uh, it's a rarer structure for sure, because we um, as readers, especially Western readers, I think have been conditioned to expect, um, you know, that you start at the beginning of the book and you finish at the end of the book uh, or the series. And so um, when we say flexible orders of reading, we could mean something like reading the books in a series out of order or um if you've got books that are um have multiple sections you might be able to read the sections out of order um but it's basically a story in which you can read all of the pieces either in the order that's suggested by the book or in whatever order you choose and it still has to work
1: yeah i uh i i think it is Funny that we talk about this as a rare style of storytelling because within books it definitely is, but that's how television was for decades, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, modern detective stories, something like The Killing, you have to watch those in order because there's a very large serialized story being told. But go back to the 80s, you can watch any Magnum PI episode out of order with no context whatsoever and still understand what's going on. And so I, it, it's definitely a style of storytelling that we are culturally familiar with, just not really in our, our prose, in our books.
2: Well, I think the main difference between um, TV shows like that, where every episode is its own thing, and you can just watch any out of order, and books that are trying to do this, is that with those TV shows, they're not necessarily building towards any kind of greater... Narrative, you know, it's just every Mm -hmm. self-contained episode is a half hour of entertainment, and that's that. Whereas books that can be read um, out of order, or they have a you know some kind of a flexible order of reading to them, it it doesn't matter what order you do choose to read it in. It still has to build in a way that those TV shows don't necessarily. And so, I think that is the greatest difficulty of this form, but also a really rewarding aspect of it because it is very hard to pull off.
0: It's a. I think it's a structure that we we did, um, that we we have seen perhaps a little bit more, um, in in a type called the fix-up novel, which is where an author takes and the, the Martian Chronicles. Ray Bradbury is you know a, a prime example of this. It was a collection of short stories, and he put them together. And then added some interstitial material to kind of stitch it together, but you can really pick up the Martian Chronicles and read a chapter without reading the rest of the book, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's there are other examples of of those. Most of the ones that I'm coming up with are are in the fix-up novel category, which is it's really a collection of short stories that are masquerading as a novel. But there's one that I. And I haven't tried reading it non-sequentially, but um, uh, The Best of All Possible Worlds by Karen Lord, uh, I think you could read it non-sequentially and still get the overwhelming sense of loss that she builds towards.
2: Does that book, um, does it give you instructions to read it in any order you want? Or is it no, no something it's, that you...
0: It's just something that I'm thinking about as as I'm uh, as I'm thinking about it. It's not a fix-up novel. It's just it is. When I read it, I was like, "Oh, this is not this is not a three act structure or any of the other structures." Um, and there, mm-hmm. yeah, but there's no there's no instructions that you should read it out of sequence. Uh, there there are books that tell you you can read it out of sequence. Yeah, uh, so there's
1: oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say uh, I'm familiar with one called Second Paradigm by Peter Wax, uh, that's a time travel novel, uh, that c- every chapter can be read out of order and the story still makes sense. Wow. Uh, you could just open it up to a random chapter, read to the end, start at the beginning and wrap around. You could read the chapters in random order and it all still works. It's really, a, a brilliantly constructed story.
2: Yeah. Um, and that's really, I think that's another uh, really good point to call out about this structure is that because um, it is not so standard, a lot of times you, um, you it, the the story that you're working on, it might require some kind of a frame to give uh, your story a reason for being told that way. So out of order or in any way, in order you want to read. Uh, and it sounds like the book that you just named does that because it's it is a book about time travel and so the jumping uh like the book itself is conscious that um that it can be read in that way because it's about time travel and so it provides like a really good reason or frame for it to exist that way
3: um when we think about this in in terms of a you know a physical novel where you know you're paging through in order to read it's it's often difficult to imagine well what Why would I not just go to the next page? Why would I just open it up and start in the middle? Um, My, and I'm going to use these words completely non-ironically, magnum opus, Schlock Mercenary, Mm -hmm. the webcomic which ran for 20 years, um, and you can still read at schlockmercenary.com. On any given day, if you went to schlockmercenary.com, the strip that is up in front of you is the very latest event in the story. I had to make sure as I was telling the story that every installment was comprehensible enough and rewarding enough that someone would click a button that says, Oh, take me to the beginning of this chapter. Take me to the beginning of this book. Just throw me to a random location in the archives and let me see if I like, we had all of those buttons. Um, in fact, when we put the random archive button up, uh, I got all kinds of feedback from people who said, "You're a monster." I click that button and then I look up and I've been reading for two hours. How did you do that? <laughs> well, um, I guess I, I didn't build the story to be read in any order. I read the story. I built the story to make sure that the first element you see, no matter where you see it, is
2: my Rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.
0: So I have a thought on that, but I'm going to wait until after we talk about the book of the week.
2: Ah, okay. Uh, I've got the book of the week. It's Crossings by Alex Landrigan. And um, this is one of the, uh, this is a pretty intense example, I think, of a book with a flexible order of reading. So I'm going to try to describe it. It's um, The frame of the book is... Um, it starts in Paris during the Nazi occupation, and um, it it's uh, introduced by a German-Jewish bookbinder who stumbles across a manuscript called Crossings, which is the title of the book your, itself uh, that, that you're about to read. And Crossings is made up of three stories. One is um, a ghost story written by uh, the poet Charles Baudelaire, I think. Um, the second one is a... It's like a noir romance about a man who falls in love with a woman who, um, she draws him into this, this dangerous hunt for a rare manuscript that might have supernatural powers. And then the third is this memoir of a woman who claims that she has been alive for seven generations or something like that, um, But the really innovative thing about this book, Crossings, is that after you read that introduction by the German-Jewish bookbinder, who says, I found this book, Crossings, and it contains three stories, is that he gives you the option to either read it straight through, so you just read one story after the other and then get to the end, or you can alternate back and forth between the stories according to directions that he gives you in the book until you end up uncovering the reason that all of these stories are together. Uh, And so if you choose to follow his directions, you end up bouncing back and forth like, I don't know, 12, 15 times between all these stories, working your way through all three at once until you get to the end. And it's, um, I mean, it's just so innovative, so creative, so unique. Uh, it's it's really it's it's worth reading because it is amazing how each story can build on its own if you read them one at a time, or when you read all three of them together, they build up to something larger. Even though you were going in a, a really different order,
1: that's so it's cool. M- it's, I love
2: it's
0: that. Like, <laughs> that is really cool, and I'm like, that's like a a grown up literary choose your own adventure.
2: Yeah, when it is a the, little bit like that. It's yeah.
3: When we put together the uh the 70 maxims uh collection, uh there's an annotated version of it that's an in-world artifact where the the book has been in the possession of four different people and they have all made their own notes in the margins. I had a spreadsheet that tracked the chronological order in which the people had the book and the chronological order of the events that they are making notes about. But none of my spreadsheet is actually in that book. And so you are holding an artifact that has very nonlinear, very read it in any order sorts of stories, um, written in, no lie, the handwriting of my children and a neighbor kid and Sandra (laughs) <laughs> um, in order to in order to capture capture that effect it is structurally super weird no it's not how i would want to tell a mystery story but i love what we ended up making
1: cool so that was crossings by alex landrigan oh so sorry i
3: interrupted up. the book of the week didn't No, I? Not everyone
1: interrupted the book of <laughs> yeah, the week because yeah. it was super innovative and and fascinating that's okay but mary robinette you had something you wanted to say
0: yeah um, so what Howard was talking about about how he had to make sure that you know when a reader lands on a new strip that it was comprehensible and and also part of a build that is something that for for those of you who are like well nonlinear, I can't even uh, <laughs> which is honestly where my brain uh lands when i when I'm thinking about this um but but it is something that I think about. When I'm thinking about plotting novels uh, in a series, because um, I I really genuinely want anyone to be able to pick up one of my novels as their starting point, but that means that I have to think about all of the previous books as prequels. Hmm. Even though I didn't write them as a prequel, I have to think about having them function as a prequel in case someone comes into the series at a different point, and so I think that even if you decide that you don't want to structure an individual story or novel in this kind of read it in any sequence way, learning some of the tools can help you with your with the, the overall thing. Like the the Lady Astronaut universe um, started with a story or the the way a lot of people come into it is the Lady Astronaut of Mars, which is set sixty years after uh the Calculating Stars, but it was the first thing I wrote. So people will ask me, "What order should I read this in?" I'm like, "It honestly doesn't matter. You know, you can read, you can go Lady Astronaut of Mars, Calculating Stars, Relentless Moon, Faded Sky, uh, or you can go Calculating Stars, Faded Sky, Relentless Moon, Lady Astronaut of Mars. It 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 doesn't matter." Um, but it, it took a lot of, um, it, it's basically me making decisions about what things I want to hold as a, an emotional, um, a piece of emotional oomph, and what things I don't mind being a uh, backstory. And as soon as I decide that they are backstory, that means that, that I no longer think of them as something that I, I want to avoid being spoiled.
2: Mm, that's a yeah, that's a really good point about um that the most important thing if you're going to approach um a book or a series with um by giving it a flexible reading order would be to hold like the emotional residences or the theme is the most important thing uh whereas the plot might not be um and so i w- I was wondering I was gonna ask you because you said one of your books takes place sixty years after the one that comes before it, even though you wrote it first um would you say that? if you're going to attempt something like this, that having a different character for every story or having bigger time jumps between them might be a way to allow for greater flexibility because readers might be more forgiving um, if the character is going to change or if there's a big time jump versus feeling like they need to go in order if it's the same character the whole time or the time jump isn't
1: very big in between?
0: That sounds right to me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, it, it sounds... I mean, Yeah. It, it sounds good though. I, in my cyberpunk series, uh, the cherry dog books, the Mirador books, um, I specifically intended them all to be episodes and you could read them in any order. Um, but they all take place relatively at the same time. The, I I was kind of specifically aping the, the TV model, right. Where the characters are all the same age. They kind of exist in a timeless space. Um, and that seemed to work fairly well. One of the things that I keep in mind is the
3: principle of whether or not a character, a character, has earned the reader's or the viewer's love and belief at a given point in, in the beginning of the story. Um, and as an example, the very first episode for me, the very first episode of The Mandalorian the Mandalorian earns the right to be awesome without a training montage or anything. He, he just, he earns the right to be awesome. The first episode of book of Boba Fett, Boba Fett does not earn the right to be awesome. All he has is the name Boba Fett and the legacy of a bazillion star Wars things. If the first episode of the book of Boba Fett is your introduction to Boba Fett, uh, I I had to ask myself, why am I interested in who this character is? And so that dichotomy for me, if there's the possibility that books are going to be picked up out of order and one of my characters needs to do something that requires the earned trust, the earned belief, the earned admiration of the reader, I have to put something in there for them to earn it. And it can be another character saying, you know, hey, uh, Boba, um, would you mind terribly being awesome for a moment? We need you to. And then Boba does it. And now the reader's on board because the other character was on board. And so those kinds of tricks, uh, every time I started a new Schlock mercenary book, eh, from about book 10 to about book 20, I kept that in mind. Who are my characters going to be? How do I make them earn this
1: early on? I I think that's probably the reason that every James Bond movie starts with the last scene of a previous one we have never seen before. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because right off the bat, they're establishing, okay, this is who the character is. This is why you like him. He's awesome. Now we're going to tell a story. Uh, Mary Robinette, you have our homework this week.
0: I do. And I I actually have two homeworks for you because I recognize that uh, one of them may break your brain. So, um, depending on how your brain works, so I, I'm going to give you a choice. You can do both if you want. Uh, so, look at your current work in progress. Are there pieces of backstory that you could unpack into a sequel? For instance, as I mentioned, Calculating Stars is a prequel to The Lady Astronaut of Mars, and, and it's basically me unpacking her backstory. So is there a story that's in there for you? The second one, and this is the one that may break some of you. um, (laughs) Take your current work in progress. Make a copy of it. (laughs) You can do this safely. (laughs) If you're using Scrivener, um, this is going to be easy. Otherwise, uh, however you want to do it, shuffle it. Shuffle it and then see what bridging pieces you need to put in, what elements you need to add in to make it still make sense in that new order.
2: My brain broke,
1: awesome. but that was so exciting. Yeah. I'm go do that right now. Okay. I, am, I am excited to hear, dear listener, uh, from those of you who attempt this shuffling thing, uh, <laughs> because I think it could be really fascinating. So, I, this, I'm, yes?
0: I am going to say that this came... Uh, as an exercise because of a real-life incident that I had in which uh, my cats played across the note cards, played a game of tag across the note cards that I was using to plot my book. And when I picked them back up, I was like, huh, that's actually a more interesting order.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Cats are geniuses. Let let your cats plot your books, I guess, is... Hasting That's the next episode. The you should not have <laughs> yeah. from this episode. <laughs> you are out of excuses. Now go write.
0: This has been Writing Excuses. Your hosts for this episode were Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, Pung Shepard, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr. and mastered by Alex Jackson. The liner notes and transcripts for this episode are available at writingexcuses.com. To learn more about us and to support us, visit patreon.com slash writing excuses. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction.